If I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan, but today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. Both, both of hearts, like, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking place. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Hurling Podcast. As Malachy Clerken put it in his Irish Times article, Wexford best the weather and Kilkenny on a mad day to be hurling. He described it as the most fun you can have with your long johns on. I'm here with Ben Burney. Hello, Ben. Hello, Gary. Did you have fun in your long johns on Sunday? I really did. You know, I, I was kind of worried a bit start with the weather thought we really could be caught in it and then with the first half was just crazy no hurling could be played and then to have the lead just wiped away in 13 minutes i i thought the worst and then the lads really really dug deep and some some big performances got us got us there in the end yeah i mean that first half it's not too often in hurling you see the the hurling ball stop going forward and turn and come backwards you might see it in football but not too often in hurling um but as you said they dug deep and i think that what was really important was the the big guns coming out coming in off the bench yeah in particular lee chin and dio keith made a huge difference the two of them were re- really incredible when they came in yeah i mean lee chin for me i just the ball just seems to magnetise towards him and I really think there's a big year ahead for him and it was also great to see Matt O'Hanlon back after his uh, injury that he sustained in the semi-final against Tipperary last year and he finished the game out with a nice flattening of a Kilkenny man which is always nice to see Always good to see and always gets the crowd going Sure does, well after the game we met up with Dermot Ling in Whites to discuss the match and his own hurling and personal journey a former captain, a former free-taker, and one of the first players to normalise the art of scoring sidelines. Gizzy, as he is known, was one of Wexford's most skillful operators. Along with being a freelance hurling correspondent with the likes of TG Carr and News Talk, Dermot also runs a business called Wild Irish Retreats. We ended up speaking for quite some time, so we've split this into two podcasts. Here's part one. Hello, everyone. We're back here. Episode two. Myself... Gary Dorn, hello Gary. Hi Ben. And the great Gizzy Ling. Hi Gizzy, how are you? Good Ben. Gary. Dermot. How are you? <laughs> Do you prefer Dermot or Gizzy? Yeah, a Dermot, like. A Dermot now. I mean, Gizzy, I, yeah, I'd have no problems and plenty of people still call me Gizzy. It's, it, it's, a, it's, it's just kind of a moniker from a time gone by, but it's a time that... It was a time of, yeah, sure, yeah. great experiences and great joy and a, a time that still gives me... There's nothing I still do, even though it could be a miles away from hurling. But I still know that a lot of the invites and a lot of the opportunities I get are because of my background in hurling. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's that's kind of all fit to foot like It's all kind of yeah, it's all intertwined. So yeah, Dermot is is a it's a, a name that I was never particularly happy with. So I took took easy quite. Really, I was happy to get it and and, and run with that. But now, as far as I kind of got older, I realised, geez, there's there's a there's strength in a name and there's an invite in a name. There's there's a lovely actually, and I know this is going probably way too deep straight away, but anyway, 
Um, this is the this, yeah, we'll this get is just, straight in there. This is just the way of it. But in the Mayan culture in uh, South America, they have a thing where they give their young people a name and then they give them a nickname. And the name that they give them will be like their their service to the community or their use in the world or their gift in the world or their purpose or whatever it is. And they go by their nickname until they embody the characteristics of their real name. And only at that time do they start using their real name. And I, when I heard that, I felt, yeah, that's like... Gizzy, I feel, is very... It's thin and it's light and it's wispy and it's and it suits a certain time and probably when I had those characteristics a little yeah. bit too much that led me down paths I didn't particularly want to be on. And uh Dermid then when I came back to that, uh Dermid means D Ermid, which is uh without envy, without jealousy. And that's a, that's a nicer invite to try and see how I yeah, interact with that. So that's, yeah, that's the, the long and the short <laughs> of do I prefer Gizzy or Dermot? Yeah, so, so I go with Dermot from now on. Yeah, that's, um, that's Gizzy good. came from Gizmo. From Gizmo, from the Gremlins, yeah. When I was three or four, I watched it up in Galway. My father, on the way home, just started calling me Gizmo. And I was playing, I was already kind of up and around with Clannard at the time. Yeah. And I suppose when there's a little young fella who's showing all kinds of, like, I was just mad to hurl from day one. Like, so I suppose when he was there and he, he put Gizmo on, then that, that that took amongst the older fellas. And bit by bit, it just became the norm, so... Yeah, right. I, I think it served it, it served me well in some ways, and that it's you definitely you stand out like having a, a a noticeable kind of a name like that. Like it, yeah. it definitely has it has definitely you stand out for some reason, and that can be good and that can be bad. And did Kieran or the other brothers get any? I mean, they did like, but they probably wouldn't want them shared about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some like or they, they they put them on themselves as well. I don't think that ever counts. Like, yeah, you, know, you, no, can't, you can't really you can't give yourself given, a nickname. You can't be giving yourself the coolest nicknames no. ever. The dude was bandied about there for a oh, while. Really? Like, for and, who? Uh, for which one? For Kieran, and sure, who else did that one before? Um, but yeah, no, that's that's uh, the the voice nice to avoid it. Yeah, also had Liam Strad calling you dizzy. <laughs> People took a lot of joy out of that one, all right, <laughs> and definitely, uh, definitely highlighted at every opportunity that they could, and probably displayed some 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 forms of of dizzy, of dizzy <laughs> often enough for them to think that's a suitable name as well. So yeah, we're in White's Hotel here now, only in just an hour and a half after Wexford after beating Kilkenny, one sixteen to one fourteen in Wexford Park. There, how do you feel the game? And you were obviously working with TG Four. Mm, yeah, it's. I'm just thinking it's like 13 and 9 now. Is it Davies' record with Wexford against Kilkenny? Crazy, really. 13 and 9 wins. Like, I mean, to beat Kilkenny, it seems so far away. Like, I just from 2000 and probably five on, the notion of playing against Kilkenny and beating them nine times out of 13 was like you wouldn't even dare to think it in some, in some ways. I kind of always felt we'd have a chance of beating them, but. There wasn't. There, there. Subsequently, turned out there was no chance that was happening, and so for it to be at a stage where we're at that record now, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's joyful in a way to beat them. Like that was always the currency in our house. Was always when we were younger. Was kind of like you went across the border from New Ross into Kilkenny, and you took a big breath in, and on the way back over the bridge, coming back into Ross the following day, you let a big breath out, and it was like, okay, we can breathe the Wexford air again, and you'd be spitting out <laughs> the window, and Kilkenny fuckers was a phrase that was okay to, to say, but you couldn't curse any other time. and you, you, even, just, even with your mother being from Kilkenny? 
Yeah, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, was it especially because, <laughs> or even with, I'm not sure, but it was, I, yeah, they were always just the, we grew up with the, like the books around us and the magazines and everything that we could find when we were younger, all pointed to this massive rivalry, and yeah. I suppose it cemented our concept of ourselves by having this other to to hate and to think that we had to be eating everything else, and it was... It added, a, it just added, a, yeah, a, a different dimension. So that's always kind of in the background. So anytime you beat Kilkenny, there's always the like the kind of old childhood feeling of yeah, yes, I'm delighted we did. But after seeing the lads play, I'm just I'm delighted that after you know with ten or twelve minutes to go, the sides are level. Everything is pointing towards Kilkenny pushing on and getting the win. And in the past, Kilkenny would have pushed on. Uh, and got the win and not because Kilkenny were uh, that much better but because Wexford often just didn't believe that at that stage they could they could kind of get taken out of the fire in a way that you're playing against a gale force wind and you can uh, come into your own a bit and settle down and take the game by the scruff of the neck and control it so I don't really care anymore so much about Wexford beating Kilkenny nearly as much as I care about just the lads from Wexford the players from Wexford representing what I perceive to be the, uh, a notion of Wexfordness and a feeling of Wexfordness, and that's and that's that we can do those things and we have an ability to to take control of situations and to be in a relaxed place and to play brilliantly without without having to go overboard or to, without having to get dirty or without having to um, go into parts of, of our play that we have in the past that just didn't serve us. We seem to be, even though we're, we're maybe a little bit limited because of our the, the strategic nature of the game that we play, there definitely seems to be a, a feeling of, of, of pride in a, in a Wexfordness in like what is what is acceptable to play hurling for Wexford, what's acceptable to show yourself uh, as as a Wexford hurler. And that's changed hugely under Davy Fitz and it's a Clareman. <laughs> under, under a Clareman. But that's it's a it's a it's a it's a nice feeling to see that, you know, yeah. to see the likes of um Dio Keefe and Lee and, and Rory come in and change the game to that level that everybody else kind of got an awful lot better when they, they came raised on their too. games. Really raised their game. So that was yeah, it was it was it was just it's just nice to witness them doing that, to be in their to get to get the most out of themselves, and for us all to be there in the crowd watching, and to be yeah, just just proud of your of yeah. your of your players, you know. And what a crowd that was at the game, considering the forecast that was given with Storm Dennis, and yeah, the wind, and even the conditions, and like both sides were full, mm. packed. And even those like hailstones came in at one stage, and I was looking down just in front of us because I had a nice little wooden box and I was up being warm in with Mactara and watching the game, and it was fine. I was looking down at the lads in front, and there was hailstones pounding down. The people were just there sitting there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to face into this now, and I'm going to take the rest of this game on. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. moving, you know. And it was great. It was great to see it. It was great to see that uh, they had defiance of uh, of the of the conditions. Um, it did. It did look. Grim at one stage in the second half with Kilkenny with the strong wind and they brought it back to level within the first 13 minutes we were 7 up at half time and in 13 minutes it was all gone yeah and then the yeah. lads really dug deep what do you think we did to really claw the game back yeah I mean I don't know I suppose the Kilkenny just looked to be doing everything kind of right up to that point as well and I thought Richie Hogan was beginning to come into it on Liam Ryan which is a bit concerning uh 
because they were just getting they were doing what I thought we should have done a little bit more of in the first half, which was getting the ball indirect and like into the full forward line. The first ball went into Connor uh, McDonald. I mean, he got a goal, like, and we seemed to just dry up then, supplying ball into him. But with the game, the way we play it, it's easy to say that there's two fellas sitting on top of him as well, and you're not going to play long balls to two on one so often and get away with it. So I think I I I I suppose you can't land maybe too much. I, I think this our system of play suits playing against the wind unquestionably the yes. way we, the way we move the ball and I used to love as a forward playing against the wind an awful lot more than with the wind because the ball that comes to you as you both know when a ball comes to you with the wind there's there's a lot of action on it there's a lot of there's a lot of heat on it like you know you have to really you don't get time as a forward to time your run to jump to play your man to play the hurl to do all the little things that you do to get a ball you have to you have to really kind of I wouldn't say get lucky but you have to be in the right place at the right time definitely uh, a little bit more and it doesn't suit our, our style we're into controlling the controllables and they are movement and short passing and decoy runs and using screens and doing all the things they do to keep possession and, and play with the ball and in playing with the ball we seem to come into a little bit of a uh, a relaxedness while you know not 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 it doesn't look like relaxedness but it certainly is way more relaxed than we were in the first half with the wind yes. I mean it looked a lot more chaotic so I think we definitely the conditions suited us from that point of view once the rain and the hail left it was it got a bit drier and a bit warmer and that was fine the wind didn't seem as strong and then to be able to bring on the lads I mean Lee just got a few balls Rory got a few balls just very small things Paul Myers I thought got his got his hurled two balls in the space of two minutes that had he not got his hurl to him, was to kick anywhere down the field and probably got a score. And they're up on our 21 and they're up on our 45 and it's hard to see a connection between those two things. But it's, it's those tiny things uh, and the likes of Paul's experience and the lads that came on, the talent they have. Those things turn games, I suppose. You know, they just, those things do turn games and they, and they did. They were, the, the lads are, we've got, we've got some special players now, you know, and Lee Chin coming on and Dio in particular and I, I did get the feeling that oh here's the big guns and McDarrow was saying in the commentary with TJ Carter he was saying you know here's the big guns now and I was like yeah but you still have to dig deep you still have to you're, you're, you're up against like Killian Buckley Connor Delaney Paddy D you're up against top class hurlers like you're not just going to come in as a big gun and all of a sudden you know rainbows are going to come out in the sky and we're going to start playing fantastic hurling it didn't work like that and I was a little bit fearful of that at the start but I thought they just showed their class uh, on every single ball that they got and everybody else seemed to respond to that and I thought that was the difference yeah and I mean it wasn't an easy situation to come into either what, like, no you're sitting, you're sitting on the sideline no. in the freezing cold with the hail coming down on you and then you're asked to go warm up and you could even see them out there everyone was swinging their <coughs> arms trying yeah, to keep warm yeah. any way they could I thought yeah Paddy Deegan I think came across with a ball Lee Chin was coming across midfield just after he got brought on and Paddy Deegan came in and kind of pushed him off it with that typical Kenny hurling across hip being standing on him like just was he was in the battle and Lee was only coming into it and I thought that's where I kind of felt that little bit of a concern that this isn't going to go your way unless you really knuckle down um, and I thought that it's a it was they were difficult conditions to come into and yeah. they their 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 little bit of class uh, prevailed in the end like Dio Keefe like where was he going up the sideline that time on his own like it was a dispossession and all of a sudden D is forty yards up the field on his own and taps it over and it was like 
He's good it's at no, that. It's no accident that. Like, that's, that's gifted play. <clears throat> like, I remember, I remember Mark and Henry Shefflin one day in, uh, in, in Crow Park. I don't know, was it in 2007, I think, maybe in the Leinster final, or maybe 2006. And I was like, my only, the only thing in my life, like, it was to Mark Henry Shefflin. I just wanted to know where he was at every single second for the whole week. I just needed to know where he was. And that was what I was focused on. So all of my attention, and I was a smart enough player. Now, I get caught up by the game, the same as everybody else from time to time, but... All I wanted to do was mark him, and I'd say my my attention must have been off him. Like I just don't know, like a split second, and all of a sudden he was over forty yards away on his own, standing there shouting for the ball. And I was like, "How did he do that? How like, did how did he do it?" And Eugene Clunan did it to me in Wexford Park one day as well. I was like, "Oh, that's the they're the special players." Like I didn't think I thought he was still beside me, and I'm looking. And they're gone, you know. So it's yeah, it's 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 nice to have that in our ranks. It's nice to see yeah. in, our, in our players doing and take those ch- take those chances and and to get those important scores at that time. It shows that there's there's freedom in Davy Fitz's style of play as well. Like they definitely think from eight on, they're encouraged to you know to change it around to to, to manage the game themselves and see yeah. where they want to go themselves. And that's 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 good. You know, you don't, you don't feel there's that kind of stifling of creativity that can sometimes come in with a system systemic approach. Not even just from eight on. I think he's Joe O'Connor. He was up and down the the side. He's he scored a point, did he? No, he didn't. No, he was. He had a couple yeah. of chances. Like he was in the right place at the right time. Joe, I was a little bit worried about Joe O'Connor back because I think he's an excellent fullback. I haven't seen him last year, uh, and I think a fullback isn't necessarily a cornerback. Yeah. It can be a little bit easy to just say, okay, well he did well back there. So stick him in the corner beside Liam Ryan, he'll be fine. And in the first half, I thought Walter had the measure of him. He was a bit too strong for him, and the ball was sitting up lovely for him. But then in the second half, when the ball started moving quicker in, Joe came out like a train to a couple of balls. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic. He had a wide that he should have scored, and sure he knows that himself, and that's fine. But other than that, uh, I mean, McDarrow was, was on about him for, for a man of the match. Like uh, He just thought he was brilliant in the second half, and I thought he was too, and I was delighted for him as well, because he works, he works very hard at his game, you know. It's, uh, it's something that kind of was commented on at, at the end of last year that it was a fantastic year and if Wexford are going to progress again it's kind of the panel that they need a, the strength in the panel mm. because kind of tired legs in, the, in that Tipperary semi-final last year showed and there wasn't the strength coming off the bench but no. it looks just from the early days this year from the Walsh Cup from the first few rounds of the league that the panel is starting to be built stronger like when you look at the the four guys on the bench, Rory O'Connor, Matthew O'Hanlon, Dio O'Keefe and Lee Chin, they, obviously they're not going to be on the bench, but you have a, a team starting out there that didn't include any of them. Yeah. I think like you need to have two fellas vying for almost every position. Like The same fella can be vying for both cornerbacks, but I mean like a fella who will step in and, 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 and on any given day it doesn't weaken the team. And I don't think we had that last year and we def- definitely suffered it. I think that with a manager like Davy Fitz and the way that he builds players up and instills confidence in them, one of the things that they do, you'll see a more experimental side in other teams at this time here, Tipperary's and Kilkenny's will maybe experiment a little bit more because they feel like they can afford to. Up to this point, not I don't think including this year, up to now with Davy Fitz, I think it's been strongest team every day, trying win every game and that creates the culture and the habit of winning. And I think it's a great approach. The only thing is, is it can limit your development of a panel, uh, and I think yeah. maybe I, I'm not saying that that's what's that's what's happened, but I think now we have an opportunity because we're Leinster champions, because we've hit a certain standard of performance that we don't slip down. We're not going down below 
maybe against Clare you could say it but not we don't slip below 80% anymore like you know we were going down to 20 and up to 90 yeah. and it was just this chaos like um, whereas now we don't do that we're at 80% or above all the time and so because we've had we've had, we have that now we can afford I think a little bit more to yeah leave the big guns off a few days or the, to interchange them and develop the players that are around them and that seems to be what but they, like you wouldn't have looked at that first fifteen today and say there's a weakness there. No. Like that's that's, a, that's still a strong strong uh, team. So to bring to have Matt and to have Connor Furman, the O'Keefe, Chin, Roy O'Connor, like the Harry Kyo, like they're that's yeah, it's it, it's certainly looks good for us. Like you'd be very hopeful looking at it, and it's 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 a pleasure to get to work on or go to games in which we're much more competitive than yeah than we have been probably or than the time maybe I knew. Uh, we weren't so competitive unfortunately and do you think all those players been left off is it specifically Davy trying to build a panel or was it just necessity because those lads weren't actually available I think it's a little bit of both um, in the past we would have had Matt O'Hanlon coming back at 80% and we'd had Lee Chin coming back at 85 or 75 and Rory O'Connor is just coming back or We'd have had those fellas back and the notion in Wexford would have been is that we need them playing or we don't have a chance because they're our marquee players and we can't trust everybody else. And that message filters down through all of the other players as well and it has quite a detrimental impact, I think, on, on, on the team, on, on the entire team, and the team morale. And I think when you get to the stage where you can say, you're at 80%, we need you at 100 and the fellow who's going to come in, okay, he's at 100% of his fitness, but he's only at maybe 90% of your capability. That 90% is better than you only going at three quarters. And for years, I think we've made that mistake of thinking that we have to have fellas who are half injured or back who are tired or whatever and because they're certain players we'd have to we'd have to play them so I think it's a little bit about we've, we've we're learning that lesson we seem more composed now in in decisions like that it's like no the lads aren't 100% we'll bring them on if, if we need them or we'll bring them on to give them their 20 minutes but we'll do what's best for the overall unit as opposed to you know being totally focused on winning the, having to beat Kenny in, in the league which which if you focus on having to be Kenny in the league, you'll be more inclined to start those fellas. And you start those fellas and then Lee Moog, I mean, you're not going to drop Lee Moog, I suppose, but maybe it's Cahill or Paul, I don't know, whoever it is, like Aidan Rashford, he comes in, Aidan Rashford like, worked hard, balls bounced up for him very well, he was very honest and, and, and showed great integrity in his play. Uh, Joe was the same, and those fellas wouldn't have got that build had they been just left off because the big guns are back. And... The long-term development and the long-term attitude that those fellas have now is that, okay, Davey's showing a bit of confidence in me uh, and I'll get what I can out of myself and we have these other fellas who, are, who keep bringing it up as well. So I think in the long-term development of a season where maybe Davey's learned those lessons an awful lot more and that's it's crucial that those fellas aren't given a carte blanche to come in and play if they're away or if they're injured or whatever, um, as I think would have been the case probably in the past. I think it was a big game for Joe O'Connor. If we think about it, I, I personally think in the leash game, maybe his distribution at times wasn't as good as it could have been. And in the Clare game, the same. Whereas today, he really pushed on. It was a big difference in the, yeah. in the second half. Especially yeah. having a tough start against Walter Walsh. Yeah, he'd had a tough start. Uh, and, and, and again, I don't think necessarily in his position. 
but if for and it's the same for any of the lads like when you just see somebody coming out of themselves and 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 yeah, I, I find it hard to talk about jokes I, mean, I'm, I, I feel I'd be quite close to jokes I've seen him develop from a very young age and he's always he, he was always very um, respectful of 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 my role in the club or playing with Wexford or, or anything like that like I could see as a young fella he was like he was looking up like and he was saying that's what I want like and I know from my own experiences that sometimes that intensity can get in the way of letting just letting rip like letting go and leaving yourself completely out there and I think that that's uh, that's Joe's biggest opportunity and I agree fully that today I felt in the second half he let he let go he just like came out like he charged out and if he missed it he missed it, and there were going to be tough lessons because Kenny was going to get a goal, but he didn't miss it. He came out. He came out first. He came out hard. He came out honest. And should Ginny Mac like no more? Could you look for any? And he pushed up forward and got a couple of got a couple of great chances to score. And the next day he gets those chances. There's no chances. He'll 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 be getting them because he's now he's gotten that. He's made that step. You know. So yeah, I think it was a it was a great day for him. And and, and I'm I'd be very taken with Aidan Rochford as well. I think there are there there the Rochfords like. Fuck it, they're a sticky old crew down the them Ansmen, like they're they're tough, they're honest, but he has a nice a nice flair of creativity about him and uh to mix in with that toughness and I think I think he's a I, I'm looking forward to seeing him to kind of develop as well. Something you just said there about you know, not there not being an absolute need to go and beat Kilkenny in the league and that's why our lads probably didn't start because there there is people in there that can do a job and we're not forcing them in. It's Touched off something you said on, uh, I think it was off the ball. You said, when you can let go of the need to win, you're actually increasing your chance of winning. So why wouldn't you go into that place? And the reason is, you don't go into the place of fear. Mm. Is that kind of what you meant by that as well? In that we didn't, there wasn't an absolute need to beat <coughs> Kenny. We haven't lost to them loads of times in a row. We're actually on top of them at the minute. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's the that, that that's the trickle down effect that sometimes is unseen in that kind of win at all costs mentality of feeling that you know if a fella's at eighty five percent and he's carrying a bit of a knock that you play him anyway because we need him and then all of a sudden he's he's down seventy five percent or lower and gets further injured. Now that's they're the optics of it and that's what people see. Now what people don't see is Harry Kyo's on the sideline and they don't see the moment. That that team has announced that something in Harry Kyo clicks and says, "Ah, I see how this is working, and why the next time I'm benching, or why the next time I'm in a drill, or why the next time I'm in a training session, will I go with the same open, fearless honesty that I can go at if I'm not being met with fearless honesty? I'm being met with something that says, I'm not so sure about you, even though you're not right, you're better than that, so." we'll just we'll just do that because we have to have this and I think to let go of and I think Kenny have been the masters of it over the years they I think Brian Cody I think he is the the, the the epitome of it he let go of winning before everybody else and just focus you listen to the words that he says in the interviews afterwards genuineness which I'm not even sure if it's a word, but he always says it. Spirit. Always talks about spirit. The spirit is good. And it was interesting. We did a talk down uh, with, the, with the club a couple of years ago um, in, the Spie- in the Spiegel tent. And the Martins took uh, a night and they did. I think they had Nick Popplewell down and Stephen Hunt and Brian Cody and Jim Bulger. And 
and I ended up in there because somebody cancelled <laughs> and uh, so I went in anyway and I was delighted like I was, we were down in the in the Talbot just before it and you know I I, I know I, I've met Jim a couple of times and that was fine but Brian Cody I hadn't I'd, I'd met him when I just started off at Wexford up in Langton's of all places actually after the game and he was very like he came over to me and he said you're you're playing very well you know I, I, I fair like and it was was just was clean and it was and it was straight he was saying you're playing very well nice to meet you and I said yeah nice to meet you too and it was it was a lovely interaction because yeah. you could see there was just a you could see he had seen something and that's if that's he wasn't just thrown out a comment yeah no he was, I, I really I, I felt that so I've, I've been kind of interested in in, in co- like for a, for a long time I kind of just thought very lazily that I said what is it why, are, why is he so boring? Like, why, are this, why is the stuff that he says so boring? And then eventually, actually, I realised why it's so boring is because it's so simple, and he's kept it really simple. And that night, um, Jim, being the good Wexford man that he is, said, well, sure, like, t- the tide had turned, and it was clear the tide had turned. The lads were, a lot of the lads were retiring, and the the, the magicians of the game were, were, were no more, really. And... Jim was kind of a little bit gleeful in that, and he was prodding at, at Cody, and he was like, "Do you know, you're, you're sure it had to come to an end at some stage?" And Cody said, "Did it?" And I was like, "Wow, that was a, I wasn't expecting that response." Like he's like, "Did it have to come to an end?" And Jim said, "Well, sure, everything has to come to an end." And, he, and Brian said, "I don't know about that." And I was just kind of chewing over it. I thought this was the most interesting thing ever, so I had to chew over that for a while. I had to take it away with me and sit down with it. And then he was speaking. And he started speaking about spirit and what spirit is and what he tried, what he invited out of his his players. And what he was saying essentially to Jim that Jim wasn't really getting, to be honest, um, and I eventually got it, was that spirit is eternal. And that's an, an old kind of spiritual dictum in some respects, but he was saying spirit is eternal. If we get the spirit of the team right, it doesn't have to come to an end. We can be beaten and we don't have to win every All-Ireland and everything else, but that's not what I'm measuring. All I'm interested in is spirit. If the spirit is right, everything else will fall into line with that. And there's no team in any sport, I'd say, that you could say more clearly that they got their spirit right and the game responded very much to them in over the last 20 years. So I think that, I think that if you put your value on something like that, if you hang your coat on something like that, the possibilities are very, very much, uh, when it comes down to thinking that, oh, if we don't have this player, will we be able to win the game? You begin to see then the limitations of that type of, of attitude. And I think we suffered that for... We suffered that here for a long time, so I think that's that's what I'm I suppose trying to get at. And I think for for free, for young people in young games where you've got the big men who start games all the time and they have to and everything else, and we see it all over the all over GA clubs all over the country. That yeah, if we could invest in something a little bit more grounding, other than who takes home the bacon at the end of the day, which really is a kind of an investment in a more egoic mindset, which is who who wins. Like, you know, if you're just focused on that, I think it comes at the cost of seeing some of the deeper values that are, are inherent and intrinsic to the game that we all that we all play, you know. So that's the opportunity. And I think Davy gets that um to some degree as well. I'm not sure I I, I wouldn't think it's it, it's 
as 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 developed maybe or as understood as cleanly as Cody understands it. But I think it's it's that we're definitely far closer to it than we were. You yeah. mentioned earlier in two thousand and five the tide seemed to really turn in two thousand and five. Now I don't mean to sound like I'm attacking you here. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to also coincide with when you started with Westford. Do you think there was kind Bain, of it's a brilliant <laughs> it's it's to be honest, it's a brilliant observation and I've had it I've had it often. Uh, I've had the feeling often myself as well. I started in two thousand and three um on the panel, going to a couple of training games and I mean I remember hurling on Agent Fenland up in Marshallstown in two thousand and three and like sure I mean I didn't know what was going on. I was like fighting Mark and Adrian Finn and like Jesus, it was unbelievable. it was brilliant. And I got a good couple of balls on him, like, you know, and I was trying to emulate I was trying to, you know, be good at ground hurling and I just thought I idolised Adrian Finland, you know. So I started off and I thought this 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 is like you're talking about Damien Fitzhenry and Dara Ryan, Adrian Finland and Rory McCarthy, Larry Murphy, you're talking about like fellas I was going to training with these fellas. I was like I couldn't wait to go training every day. It was brilliant. And I saw, you know, against Cork and Rory's goal in the last minute, and it was all just brilliant in 2004. I was like, this is, we're really going to kick on here. Like, this is going to be a start of something. And we won Leinster, and I was like, this is certainly the start of something. And all in the final on, and we got hammered by Cork. And from that, you know, from 2005, I'd say probably in the, the Leinster final in 2005, Fenno got injured, Skippy got injured, who was it, which of the two of them, I think Fenno picked up an ankle injury and was gone, or maybe it was Skippy, I'm not sure, one of the two of them anyway got injured, and and all of a sudden, Owen Larkin came in for two or three points, and something just turned before halftime, Desi Maiden had scored a goal early on, we were really flying on, Quigley scored a point that day oh. over his head, I mean, geez, it, was almost, it, was, it was magic, like, it was magic to be playing it, and I was Mark and Martin Comerford, I remember, and I was kind of studying Comerford for a good while to see how could I how could I stop him, you know, because he was bigger than me, stronger than me, probably faster than me, and way more experienced and everything else. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this fella. And I worked out that if I could put my hurl across his eyes at the start of a puck out, just that, like, you know what a puck out, like, you're 90 yards away. If I put you across there now, Ben, on the far side of the hotel, and I, and I pucked the ball, within about probably a second and a half, you'll be able to go to the area within about a metre and put your hand up and be within a, about a foot or two. Like that, that level of movement of our mind happens in that short of time. So he's like, okay, if that's how we can, if that's how he does it, it's that first second is obviously crucial to where he places himself. And so I was, I was putting the hurl across his eyes so he'd, he'd lose that first second. That was enough once that was done then, that was enough. So these things were all, it was really exciting time to be part of it. And then it fell apart and I, and I suppose, I, like, I looked at stories like George, like, I was looking at George growing up, like, he looked at how it ended for him in 96 and the Royal Rovers nature of it, and I I'd, I'd suppose I'd have a belief in the notion of someone's career tying in with a certain moment in time for a particular reason, you know, and I feel my career coincided with the biggest, one of the biggest falls from grace in Wexford Harland history, and it's like, that's like... Appreciate, like you know, I've I've had that feeling, and it's a, and it's an awful thing because you all you want to do as a young fella is to grow up and represent your place and your people and to bring home like something to say all of this time that we've spent and all the energy we've exchanged and shared and put into this thing. 
we 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 got something to say you know we're doing we're doing fine so it's yeah it's been a that I, I've, it's not anything that's answered or i don't think answerable inside of me it's just a feeling that's there and and it's uh, and i don't i wouldn't consider it as an attack or anything like it it's a it's a fairly it's a shrewd observation <laughs> i don't like i feel now like i know that i was i i, I i'm i'm sure of my contribution I suppose I don't feel that I back down or I don't feel that I was I mean there was times I was probably working out of fear and there was times I fell out of love with the game and all of those things happened within it but my my relationship with Wexford and with hurling and with training and trying to be a leader and trying to and trying to invite the best out of the fellas around me was always for the 10 years I played was the essence of my existence and life like so I can once I can kind of hold that line what can you do about the, the myriad of other influences that are all like how would you how could you say that the greatest Kilkenny team of all time are going to come in at that time as well you know it was just I just found it to be a little bit unlucky I mean 2007 we Kilkenny Bettis league semi-final we were after beating Galway we'd had a great league campaign Leinster final, Kenny Bettis, another 15 or 16 points. Ireland semi final, we were after beating Tipperary that year, another 15 or 16. I was just like, gee, like, is there any? And we thought, we then started thinking that we were poor. But in actual fact, they were just the most exceptional team that's probably ever played the game. And I think we were probably a little bit in the end harsh on ourselves about where we were at. If we had, it could have been a little bit more realistic, a little bit more hopeful in. In our in our outlook, maybe we might have gotten a little bit more out of it against other teams. But that kind of team were imperious. They were just they were a pleasure to, to watch, and, and now looking back, a pleasure to play against in some respects yeah. as well. You know, it's like we were talking to Tom Dempsey in the last episode, and he was talking like Wexford. Well, the club t- the club teams are doing extremely well in Leinster, and even Buffers Alley winning the club All Ireland in '89. But it wasn't translated yeah. to the county team. He he kind of said that. They could have been the second best team in the county for those years, but they came up against an awfully or Kilkenny that were the best. So mm. and it was a one round knockout and they got knocked out. Yeah. And I know the from two thousand and five it seemed pretty grim for Wexford, but at the same time there was four Leinster finals in a row and it was just Kilkenny, as you said. <coughs> yeah, yeah. That was I mean two thousand and seven was a very bright year. We had Paddy Murphy working with us and Paddy Murphy was the best trainer I ever ever played on John Myler's first year. And we had uh we had Paddy and he was just the very best uh, that I ever worked with, without doubt. He, what did he do that was... He had a deeper understanding of what training was. He wasn't confined to the measurement of it. He was very astute with the measurement of it. He was very knowledgeable on diet. He was very knowledgeable on how to train properly. But he also had a little bit of a... There was a bit of spirituality, although that would never have been put forward. But there was a bit of a spirituality about what it was in that he was talking about getting to know pain you know like at those stages of training sessions where like lads are getting sick and stuff like getting to know that and to be able to relax into it to a point where you could accept it now all of the great like you go up into I'm sure I mean we've our own best version of it here you don't need to look at Buddhism or anything like that like Loch Derg and these places like that's what they are it's like can you endure pain to the point where it ceases to become pain without changing the circumstances can you sit for 10 days in a row in silence for 10 hours a day and just sit with the feeling of your legs and your muscles and your hips burning beyond belief can you sit with that and breathe through your body and remove all resistances to pain and that was part of Paddy's philosophy and 
nobody really knew it um, and I didn't really know it at the time but I began to see it more as time went on and I felt that he was just in a different class uh, to anybody I'd ever worked with before and he wasn't kept on and in 2008 to be honest I felt it was probably like we'd have big fallout with, with John and, and I was very close I felt I was very close with John and I was very taken with John in many respects but I felt not bringing Paulie Murphy back in 2008 was a, a horrendous mistake by either John the county board whoever it was I don't know but he was a huge huge loss to us because we were ready for that and like we just we made a better team at every single at every single corner but at least we were getting the most out of ourselves and post and pre uh, Polly Murphy you couldn't say that at any stage I couldn't say at any stage under John Connor and I suppose we 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 I, I feel like Devise now himself and Martin and Dickie gave us insights that we would never have gotten ourselves because they were they, they had such experience in the game but we devised our own tactics to beat Kilkenny and that was a that was a kind of a great a, a momentous thing to do to just see this is the problem this is how we solve it and as what players should be doing anyway it's no disrespect to the lads uh, Seamus the step up I think for Seamus Murphy from under 21 he was a brilliant under 21 manager didn't we didn't get anything like what we could have got gotten out of ourselves? I felt in two thousand five and two thousand six, um, we had men on that team like Dara Ryan, like yeah. Dara Ryan. Like I remember Dara Ryan saying, like, asking me to go for a pint one night. Like it was, it was great, one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> it was like, we'll go for a pint with you, like good shiny man. And it was probably because he couldn't get anybody else. Like, but it didn't matter. You know, we were, <laughs> after, we were just after winning Leinster, and it was kind of the third night. And we said we go down to Sammy Sinnott's who just passed away uh, and, and a great a great man and we went down at a point and it was such a great thing because he was he displayed something and Fennan and and I think Skippy and Rory Mack and those lads displayed it as well there was something very very solid in them when it came to the game that you just wanted to unearth it and source it in yourself and carry that with you as as a person, and it's really interesting. Um, I remember going to Tom, Tom Dempsey's father's funeral, and I was just, I suppose, it was two thousand four or five, uh, maybe two thousand five, and I was after maybe it was in the winter. I'm not sure, but I was. I'd had a good year anyway, and I felt you know I was starting to gain a little bit of status or whatever as a, as a, as a decent player, and I was at the funeral, and I could see this. Every was so clear um, how it happened. That everybody was going up and, and kind of offering their condolences to Tom, and this was a place, a sacred place, where people were gathered together to to pay their respects um, to Tom's father, but but to the, to the family outside of Tom, obviously as well, and you could see the the, the kind of the pile, just a group of people all in this. Where everyone was outside in this graveyard, and there was a group of people at one side, and bit by bit, you could just see this movement go across to the far side of the graveyard and none of them were seemed conscious of doing it but they were all doing it and eventually there was just this ring of the 96 fellas 16, 17 of them all around in a circle now I knew all of them and I felt I was now at a level where I could interact with them without looking up to them as, yeah. as total heroes but boy jeez I wasn't going near that group like I just stood back and looked at them and thought look at that like, that's that's all I want from my career at Wexford is to go to places with a group of fellas who in 10 years time when you look back you 
subconsciously gravitate towards a circle where you know that the essence of that circle is a set of experiences that were hard fought and were wild and crazy and honest and broken and everything in between but you went through it together and I and it was a beautiful um it was a really it was a really beautiful thing to witness and I felt I probably aspired and looked for it for my whole career and ended up actually hating the lads who I played with at times for the fact that we didn't have it we didn't have it and and it was not and and I was as big a, a problem there because I was bringing in this like why don't we have it but it, you have to go with it to find it. You can't yeah. just be, can't be judging it from the outside of it, you know. So I, I went way off topic, I think, of what you asked me there. But I think these are probably things that are nice to share with with Wexford people listening about their, yeah, yeah, yeah the of our past, you know. But you're like, the fuck do we go from there? <laughs> um, I, suppose, I think it was on the Gansey that I was watching that you had a... Extreme confidence about you when you were younger, so much so that when you were hurling well and people would come up to you and say, you're hurling well, Jesus, you, you could make the Wexford team, you used to say, what do you mean I could? Of course I'm going to play for Wexford. How do they not know that I'm going to play for Wexford? Mm. Well, that was all happening internally. Like I wouldn't, I don't ever felt, I don't ever feel like I had a great confidence actually in within the game because I didn't always fit into the dressing room culture. I didn't always fit in. I didn't really know the... The dynamics of what was going on. I didn't necessarily understand everybody and what was happening and the jeering and all that stuff. I'd be kind of in it, but it was maybe a little bit, I don't know, it was a bit too slow for it or I don't know what it was, but I didn't ever feel so comfortable and confident in it. I, I just, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know about, I don't know where that comes from or where it came from, but it certainly was no surprise. It, 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 it never at any stage it was always great honour but at no stage yeah. did it register as a surprise that I played for Wexford in the end and the, the biggest disappointment in it is, is is exactly as you said Ben was like it coincided with such a time and then and so you're talking about destiny and fate is essentially what you're, you're asking me about and that's what I felt I felt I was going to play unquestionably was going to play for Wexford whether anybody understood it or not Did you know that you were that goddamn skillful to which you were or did you know that you were going to work until you made it was it that kind of you weren't going to give up until you made it or do you just knew that I'm good enough and I'm I don't yeah like I suppose it, it's hard to know now because you could say well look at you had that skill and a certain set of talents that lend themselves very well to hurling in some way um, and with a handball background and having played that when I was younger I think that gives, that's a great grounding in the game too for some reason it's just a Playing like even in this room now, you see the walls and the side, and like you, you just you know you, you know this whole area around you very very intimately, and so yeah. you trust it very very much. Um, I don't know where I don't know it, was it just something the power of suggestion of my father or what it was, but it was. It is as it, I'm as sure about it now that I will play for Wexford as when I was ten. And I've already played now, so yeah. it's like the feeling has never changed. And in, in in a in a linear time model that we subscribe to more often than not, that makes no sense. But in the way sometimes the time shows itself to us, to me, it makes perfect sense because it's still the truth. It it it, it happened. So I can't really, I I, it's, I find it hard to explain what it is. But it certainly wasn't. I don't feel like it was a confidence. I, I didn't feel very confident necessarily about myself in the game, but I I just felt that that was 
that was a destiny in some way. Yeah. Um, but v- all very subconsciously, very subconsciously. And it was only when someone said it to me that it was actually one person said it to me, maybe John, o, John O'Connor or somebody, said, uh, Jason Barnes, maybe from the club, I'm not sure, but someone said, Jeez, you know, you, you might actually, and I was like, oh, oh, they don't all know. They don't know. What I know. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it just, was, uh, it just jarred with me. I was like, oh, so it, it, it highlighted to me, oh, wow, you, you've always thought something here and everybody else doesn't see that. Yeah. And it just it just jarred, but really, I, I maybe even in the Gansey it sounded like f- probably arrogant or something. But like, I I had ne- I didn't have that I I didn't have that confidence in myself when I was young. I was small. I was slight. I was pushed off. He's when I went to Wexford in two thousand and three. Like in the, before that winter two thousand and four, I just got straight into the gym and I was like, right, I'm not going to be able to be in the same room as as Dara Ryan and be. 12 stone and barely had to lift like 30 kg yeah. like I just so I had to really I was I became really conscious and worried about that stuff and actually was a probably an undoing in the end that lack of confidence because if I could have been a little bit more confident in it I think I might have realized that at 12 stone and happy you're 10 times better than 13 stone and worried about not being 14 um, and I feel I probably played with some of my best hurling in and when I was, you know, 22 and 23 and fresh and keen and eager and, and just like loving the game and loving the experience yeah. of it, you know. So that, yeah, that's probably enough about that. <laughs> you uh, started off uh, playing at Wexford and you were wingback. Yeah. And I felt for, for a good few years anyway, you were you were Wexford's best, best player. Mm. And then towards the second half of your career, you seemed to be playing in the forwards. And I always thought that you were back, this is your best position, mm. you were Robin Peter to pay a part here. <clears throat> How did you feel about that move? Were you okay with it? Or? Um, I found wing back to be a particularly easy position for my skill set. And I thought that I probably, uh, in a different team, in, we'll say, a Kilkenny, I probably would have stayed wing back. But with Wexford at the time, it was a case of Robin Peter to pay Paul on, on, on loads of different fronts. And so... I think yeah, I had to. I, I midfield was a kind of number eight. I, number eight was always just an, an image in my head that I I just wanted to be midfield, maybe based on having watched George and you know whatever effects these numbers have on you. But I always saw number eight. I just thought that was a that was the position for me. But then you know I had developed uh, certain skills that were very suitable to the developments of the game. Like I was relatively quick and I was smart enough to time runs and things like that, and I was strong in the air. Um, and that suited wing forward way better than somebody who wasn't so strong in the air, who we would have, who we would have had to put there, if I wasn't there, if I was wing back. Our problems weren't in the backs; we were creating backs all the time. Our problems were in the forwards; we weren't creating natural forwards. And I did like I mean, I was taking frees for three years, lads. And Jesus Christ, I didn't take a free in the three years that I actually thought I'm going to score this. No. And I mean, flies in the face of all positive philosophy when it comes to take set pieces like I was like straight in front of goal I remember taking a free against Dublin under in uh, Nolan Park and, and I, I I'd skimmed the inside of the post uh, from the 21 and I wasn't even surprised like I was like I'm just glad it went over like so to not have that I, I wasn't a natural forward definitely wasn't a natural forward but I loved being under puckouts uh, so I didn't mind so much um and I was there was other areas of the game at wing forward, that I, like the sidelines and all of that stuff. I felt that I could 
control play to a certain degree and I was given more and more license to go off out into midfield and to, to play a little bit more of a quarterback role in creating play so I was getting to do a lot of things that I wanted to do and the midfield role had changed you weren't the one like you know George is the one contesting puck outs in the 80s and 90s but that changed completely it was now doing forward and the midfielder was really had to be strong on the brakes so yeah I took the wing forward was a, was was fine and I and I felt I had developed into a, a go-to player if we were struggling that if we needed to get a, a score or needed to get a high puck out one that I'd be in the right place and uh, it just yeah I, I really enjoyed wing back I didn't enjoy the forwards as much but yet it was the role I think it was just the necessary role, you know. On the freeze, um, the late Willie Sunderland used to tell mm. us, he used to be over our Ask More team, and tell us about the hours of practice he used to put in on free-taking. Was that, that he used to or I used th- to? That you used to. He, he used to use you as an example to us on if you want to get something right that you need to practice for hours. Mm. How, how much effort did you put into your freeze? Well, the first, especially now that you're saying that you never felt confident. Yeah. Well, the first thing about that is I, it's a great compliment that a man like Willie Sunderland would use you as an example for anything because yeah. I was very taken and I always really liked Willie Sunderland. Um, it was... Yeah. I I mean, I don't... I, it's hard to know where to, to start on that because sometimes the fear of missing some like that when you weren't when I wasn't so sure sometimes when that's there it inspires you to practice way more because you know you have to get things right uh, and you don't feel confident that you have things right so I put a lot of time into it because that was yeah I put a lot of time into it because I, I, I loved do, I loved doing it and I loved yeah. the challenge of it the strain and the stress on my body at times definitely got a bit too much but I loved doing it and it wasn't ever I mean, going training early or coming away from training late or staying on to take freeze and staying on to take sidelines. Man, I remember that one night up in Duffy Rovers, like, and and I and I probably one of the reasons I remember is because the the Wexford Camogie team were training right beside us and they were like in a in a huddle and I was on. It just happened this way now, and I've done these things in my life before, definitely where I would have engineered them, but it just happened that there was like twenty five lovely fine Wexford women on a field right beside where I was taking these sidelines yeah. and I was hitting them from the 65 and sideline after sideline was just flowing over the back like on I was just I couldn't believe the time and was just so effortless it was just it was magic it was a magical feeling and so I just I liked doing I liked I liked that I liked yeah. that feeling of 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 the mastery kind of developing in some way and it was a lovely it was a tremendous discovery to find that mastery can come into your muscles to the point where now like when we uh, when we played uh, at you know we'd have there was a kind of a winter there was probably two months off four, five, six, seven maybe you might get a month off and when you'd come back after the first month, I remember I'd be, you know, go back up pucking around with, with Owen or, or, or somebody at a first training session and you'd be just like I was upside down as well, so I, was like, I just felt this like. But Owen would feel it too, and he was orthodox, and we just could be knocking back and forth. Like, Jesus feels, this feels awkward, or it feels weird, you know, because you'd be after leaving to hurl down for a month, yeah. and it'd feel awkward, and the body wouldn't be moving in the way it wanted to move, and you'd be missing stuff. And at twenty seven, maybe twenty six, twenty seven, that changed to the point where now, 
if we go outside now, I will feel like my body will do pretty much everything I feel I could do at, at 28. Like my control, it, it's it's just it's it's in my muscles now. It lives there and doesn't leave, and that's yeah. that's such a fantastic thing. So I, I knew you're kind of programming all of these things in, and you know, I, you know, I'd read about the 10,000 hours, and I was interested in all of the performance psychology stuff. So I knew what it took, and so it was just a pleasure. I found it, to be honest, a great pleasure to do all of the extra stuff because it was just, I, I really wanted, uh, I really wanted to, to be somebody who drove the culture of what Intercounty Hurling in Wexford meant. And I think I based it a, an awful lot on on the likes of Dara and, yeah. and Fenno and those fellas because they were, I, I felt they displayed something and I, I remember it happened we had Paddy Butler another man who, who impacted me definitely um, in, in the last year where he was speaking very openly and very honestly to us and like those lads grown men like you know the heroes and everything else and they're grown men and Paddy was like what do you, how do you feel about that training session looking him in the eye and they'd be like yeah 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 that was good and they had to go down and he's like sorry look at me when you're speaking to me like and this was a this was a departure like nobody had ever picked lads up like that because yeah. we don't discuss those things in GA teams very often and he was saying he was basically saying that you have to do you have to be that person all the time you can't just go out and all of a sudden in Crow Park be a winner if you can't look another man in the eye and say this is what I thought about this thing that I love that I invest all of my time in and so I think that um, we weren't training to be the best and you'd say you put down in the goals in your goal setting fucking bullshit goal setting that we often did at the start of the year and I say it's bullshit because people would say win in Ireland and I was like well if you're going to write down win in Ireland when we go training on Monday night and it's freezing cold you have to be training two weeks you have to train like you're winning in Ireland like yeah. and Potty Butler would say this when he came in and I was like finally right this is going to be this is going to be big this is going to we have this and he's like I'm not going to be a trainer on Wednesday it was like 12 of us down in Pierce's against the wall roared howling wind lashing rain and it was a brilliant session because a load of lads hadn't come for, for whatever reason and I thought right here we are this is it this lad gets it this is going to be a big year and the following Wednesday we were in Patrick's Park and a few of the other lads were back and I was like right the 12 who were there we set the standard this has to be full on full intensity full honesty from the very start and when we went out it was just this lackadaisical pucking back and forth doing the drills a little bit of laziness crept back in and I was just like well don't write down that you want to win Ireland if two days after saying let's do it this way you're just going to stop doing it that way revert back and to so, going through the motions yeah and revert back to that a little bit so that yeah they were kind of um yeah, there was there was I suppose a bit of frustration in 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 that in the end, you know. So that concludes part one of our chat with Damon Ling. Very interesting chat, very interesting guy, a very nice fella. Hope you enjoyed it. We will bring part two to to you in the next couple of weeks. Please get in contact if there's anyone, any guests you would like us to have on the podcast, and we'll do our best. Uh, I make apologies again for unfortunately Shane Tompkins couldn't make it he has a bad toe infection so we'll hope to get him soon but in the meantime thanks for listening take care I'd like to thank you the people of Wexford